Hello! Welcome back to Macro Magic with Michelle. I am your host, Michelle Williams, also known as the Freedom Fairy on YouTube and TikTok. I am so happy today to bring you this interview with Michael Perrine of Everyday Detox. He has a YouTube channel, a podcast, but he's actually been in the holistic health diet field for a very long time. And the whole reason why I found him was through the magic of a cookbook called The Angelica Home Kitchen. And we get into it in the podcast, but a little bit more on Michael. He actually has a center. It's called Vitality NYC, and it's a nutritional detox studio in New York City. And they offer colon hydrotherapy, um, cryotherapy, and nutritional coaching. He is the guy you want to see, you want to talk to about eating a raw vegan lifestyle. He knows about juicing and a lot about detoxing, which we kind of went overboard on time in this podcast, but there is so much more I could have asked him and hopefully he can come back for a second a second podcast. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode and be sure to check the links to learn more from Michael. My first question is, how did you get started in your healthy living journey? Uh, I had to go to a very dark place in order to get to a very light place. So um, uh, I, when I was growing up, it was like kind of a weird social climate uh, in the youth social climate in Staten Island. And I was sort of a violent place, a lot of gangs, a lot of bad influences. My family was amazing and sweet. I had the best childhood, but just outside the home, New York City in the 80s and 90s had bad influences. And I went right into them. Like I was always obsessed with smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol. And um, anyway, I started that very early, um, sort of in my pre-teens, doing things that uh, some people don't do till their teens and their 20s. I'll just put it that way. And um, it became a lifestyle for me. I was very wrapped up in the drinking culture. It was an easy thing to do. My high school teacher um, was, uh, he, I would have uh, my math teacher, my finite math teacher. He would uh, be my teacher at 1.45 uh, p.m. in the afternoon. Then by 7.30 p.m. at night, he was the bouncer at the bar that was checking my fake ID, knowing exactly who I was and letting me into the bar. And, oh you know. God. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, it was that kind of scene. And it was just, I don't know. So, um, and there were a lot of other things that, that we were exposed to and went on with, and a lot of bad food, um, a lot of bad food choices, you know, I had no discipline or self control. So as a teenager, it was like, oh, you can eat whatever you want now. You know, it wasn't just what your parents are feeding you. Like I went all in on processed junk, McDonald's, lots of pizza, lot, you know, and the real food my parents fed me anyway, was sort of standard American too. So um, it was just a lot of pollution in my body. So by the age of 19, I was pretty broken down physically. Like I was supposed to be in the best shape of my life. I was actually in the worst at that time. I was 
about um, 60 pounds heavier than I am now. And um, uh, there's pictures of me on my Instagram. They're in some books that people can find and uh, some before and after pictures. And uh, it wasn't a good look, you know, dark circles under the eyes, lots of extra weight on the body, had all sorts of bowel problems that uh, I won't elaborate on. And uh, one day I realized because, you know, it wasn't only my physical body that was getting sick. It was sort of my consciousness because I was drinking almost every day of the week. Alcoholism runs in my family. I was deep into it wasn't feeling well. So it was a uh, sort of a darkness over my consciousness. And, uh, but I knew that because I was always a very bright soul and uh, I knew I had to clean things up. And one day I stood in my parents' basement and I uh, saw the autobiography of Malcolm X, the original, I think it's the original printing. It looks like it. I'll show it to you here. I actually have it. Um, let me pull it off of this thing. Um, I have it right here and I have it in a case because it was such an influential book in my life. Uh, and um, I started reading this book and I started learning about self-responsibility and I started realizing how it was the cause of my own problems uh, and inspired by his life and his teachings, not necessarily related to Islam and I'm not a person of color. So like it was me more observing how he was living his life in the context of all of that um, and getting the macro lessons, right? Because um, a lot of them didn't apply to me directly. Uh, and uh, I started uh, cleaning things up, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, started educating myself again, got back into college, started working again, you know, really, I'm making it sound also simple. It was a struggle and it was those yeah. micro failures and things like that. And part of his, you know, thing that Malcolm did is he realized that he really needed to, in order to empower himself, it's a little different now, but it was through books and education. He, he rewrote the dictionary to understand every single word in it, uh, a process I started, but never finished. And, uh, but one of the things I did is I really became a voracious reader and I just like all these books behind me, like, and I got rid of probably, there's probably at least double these, but when I used to live in New York, um, moving from apartment to apartment and never owning anything. And like, I, you can't, I can't move thousands of books every time. Right. So I got rid of a lot of them, but, um, I, uh, I started reading books on natural health and I read a book. My mind was way open at this point. Like I was new, I was like that. 19 years old, mind is open, body's transforming, mind's transforming, inspired by a great, a great person, you know. Um, and I read a book called Diet for a New America, and it was just the right seeds at the right time that planted in my head where I was like, I learned about the way animals were treated and the suffering of animals. Like, I didn't know any of that. Um, no one talked about that in, in 1995, you know. Um, I learned about the environmental impact of uh, pesticides and things like that. Uh, I learned about um, the accumulation of poisons through the food chain, things that like just nobody ever talked about. And I just happened to pick up the right book and it totally blew my mind. And within it, like 24 to 48 hours, I was eating vegan. And I was just in, in, and I just went deep into a detox. I lost 60 pounds in about four months and uh, it was intense. Yeah, it was a major change, but it was very exciting for me at the same time. So, uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was challenging, but the thing about it was like, I was so enthusiastic about the process, learning new things, tasting new foods that it was, it was in a way fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got into all that. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Um, I, I really love that story and yeah, I mean, it's kind of, kind of sad, but a lot of the times I feel like people have to get to a really bad point. <laughs> to be like realize they need to make a change and um I'm really glad that 
you got to that point pretty early in your life. And um, it's really cool to, to know that and then to know what you're doing now. It's like, it was just like you said, you planted seeds and you've been nourishing those seeds. And here you are today helping people do on their journey. And as a practitioner, it's so sad to see when people go their whole lives that way and then they have the big wake up call event and then they yeah. want to turn it around. It's so much more challenging to turn it around at that point. Um, you know, and I didn't even have a, I was young and I didn't even have some type of diagnosable illness or something. It was just, right. I was just headed in that direction. Right. So um, it's always better to plant a tree 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of mentioned it um, during that, the beginning part of your journey, um, that a lot of things weren't talked about. And um, so can you describe a little bit more like what the scene was like, um, especially for um, eating vegan, having a community, um, stores, restaurants? Uh, it was, it was weird. Everybody was weird, you know, like there were different, uh, you know, but I, I sort of loved that part about it. I love the old health food store that you have to go into that's tucked away in the, the, the little neighborhood pocket that's, uh, smells like carob and incense and like, you know, it's just, it, it's a world that you used to enter into that doesn't really exist anymore. Cause everything's like Amazon online. Everyone's, uh, wellness influencer and we're all looking at phones like it's 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 great but like it's different you know it used to be like you had to go to the place it's almost like a pilgrimage in a sense like you had to go yeah. there um there were restaurants that were quirky in all their own ways and weird and a lot of the times awful service but it was the only place you were going to get that special vegan thing or whatever and like you know so i i kind of enjoyed that it's a little snapshot of history that, that doesn't exist anymore um, at least not, not in the big cities. It probably does in some of the smaller towns and stuff, those quirky little health food stores and things. Um, but you had to go places for information. So like we're doing this podcast now, podcast didn't exist. Uh, none of the social existed. The internet didn't even exist when I first got into this. So, um, you went to, uh, for us, we would go to high vibe, which was a raw food shop, um, in the East Village next to the Hells Angels headquarters. And you'd go in the building, out the back, down the backyard, into a basement. And then there's a store in the middle of this building, you know, on the backyard basement of this building, right? Mm -hmm. And there would be enough room for 50 people in there, but there'd be 100 people in there. And everyone would be crammed in, laying on the floor. And there'd be like David Wolf or whoever from Los Angeles or wherever speaker. And like, it was like a scene that you had to show up for. And uh, it was special. It was really great. Um, things weren't as accessible. Um, like I always talk about, how I, I don't really love the, the quality of food at Whole Foods and these in Costco and these places, but it does make my life a whole lot easier. So, um, you know, you just have to go from place to place. And if that health food store didn't have the organic seaweed you're looking for, you might have to go across town to get it at the other one. You know, you couldn't get it everywhere. Um, so uh, it, it, it required a little more effort, let me put it that way, to, to eat healthier. Um, yeah, not, so that, that's what the scene was like. And, you know, you go to the health food store and there was always that guy talking to you about the new world order or something or like some like, or, or you know, something real kind of wacky and out there. Um, and, uh, and it was special, yeah. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really cool. <laughs> it's it's I mean, counterculture, it was counterculture at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I always um, 
this is maybe going like more spiritual, but I always was connected to like an older time than I, than I was born in. I think that's uh, my past lives or something. Um, but I actually there where I used to live, um, actually, and even where I live now, there are some like old health food stores and it's really cool to know, like, I mean, when I first started eating healthier, um, just five years ago, but, um, I was, I was really excited to go to new grocery stores and stuff. And I was always excited to go to like ones that were real, were older, like you said, and they had that five and they were always smaller than like, they had more stuff than I think could really, really fit in that grocery store. Like every time you go to one of those little grocery stores, you're like, always like, excuse me, sorry. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I do like that vibe. And, um, like, I just know, like, there's one grocery store, uh, an older Korean lady owns it, and she would always give me, like, recipes, like, um, I'd be like, oh, do you have some kombu? And she's like, yeah, and you know what you can do with kombu? And she just be telling me. So I think, um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have gone back even longer ago to enjoy that scene, too. Yeah, the small shop always wins. And people that would open a health food store or even a small little family shop or something, they're always a personality. So it's always an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and so this whole podcast, based, this whole interview that's happening with you happened because I read that Angelica Kitchen cookbook. Yes. So I, So I have to ask you, how did you end up at Angelica Kitchen? Here it is. I actually have it right here. <laughs> I have one regret that they, there was an original printing uh, that was spiral bound. Like this one came from oh. a printer, but it was like like wire bound and everything. And uh, I was like, what do I need two of them for? But I wish I would have just held on to that for the nostalgia reasons of it. But yeah, um, yeah this restaurant right here, the Angelica Home Kitchen, this, is a, this place is a legend right here. Um, and it closed a couple of years ago, very unfortunately. Um, but it had to do with the changing landscape of New York City and rising rents and things like that. And also some, some things that, that, that they could have uh, improved on. But um, yeah, like we talked about things being an experience. That restaurant was an experience, Angelica Kitchen. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just um, like a place to go eat, you know, like it was, it was like a, yeah, it was, you, you, you entered into a, a little world when you were there. It was, um, I'm trying to think of what I can can relate it to, but um, Leslie, the owner of Angelica, did an amazing job at bringing nature and the farm to New York City. Yeah, it wasn't just a theme restaurant. It wasn't like you go in and you know, like they have like a big hay bar- barrel or something, and like you know, everyone's like there's theme restaurants like that that make it seem like net like farmy or whatever. But like, no, this was not that. It was it was this authentic experience you walked into. Beautiful location. Um, but it came with a message, that restaurant. Uh, that restaurant, it, it had a message of, um, of uh, awareness around ecology, of um, uh, compassion for all beings. You know, it was, it was wonderful in that way. I ended up there because when I, I remember working a production job doing like graphic design and production work and I was in a health food store and I, I was having a very stressful day there and which is really silly for me to think about. I was, what was I like 22? Like how stressful could my day have been? I mean, there was stuff going on, but like, I don't even remember what it was to this day, 
and I was in the health food store and I saw an, a, a little leaflet, a little pamphlet um, for a school called the Natural, Natural Gourmet Institute for Food and Health. And I was thinking, I'd, so I'd seen that and then I was, in, I was going to school at night and I was sitting in a psychology class or some elective I was taking. And I was like, God, I wish the most stressful part of my day was, you know, do these brownies need more chocolate or something like that? You know, and I was like, how can I make that happen? And I thought back of that brochure and I was like, I have to go to this school. And it was a natural foods culinary institute in New York. And I went to it and uh, I graduated. And through them, I got an internship at Angelica Kitchen. And that was the only place I ever wanted to work um, was Angelica Kitchen because at the time it was the best vegan restaurant in the world. I mean, it was legendary in that way. Now, of course, like everything's elevated and things elevated about 10 years after I started working, there were lots of amazing restaurants popped up and more talented people popped up in plant-based cuisine. But at the time there was not much and uh, there was Angelica, but it wasn't the best only because it was like one of, you know, a hundred restaurants in the world. It was the best because it was really that good, that much of an experience. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the only place I wanted to work. And I was an intern there for a number of months. The pastry chef quit. And I think the chef at the time was being a little lazy because I remember getting it like that. And, you know, Leslie was like, you know, who are we going to have as our pastry chef? You know, Nadine's leaving and, and what are we doing? And, and I was over there chopping onions as an intern. And he looked at me and he was like, how about Mike? <laughs> and I was like, yes. I was like, I got it. Uh, and I went hard there for seven years and like worked, I taught their classes with them. They, they did a whole thing with classes to promote the book. Um, I worked there as a chef, a um, as a pastry chef, a chef, an assistant chef. I worked almost all the jobs in the kitchen. Um, and at the time when I was really into culinary arts, I was basically making my career off of everything I learned in that restaurant. And then of course I left and went on to do other culinary projects and work for food manufacturers and consult other restaurants and stuff. Um, and anyway. That's how I ended up there. But then I ended up leaving food altogether and working with the other end of food. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, yes. but, uh, yeah, that's the only place I wanted to work because it was so good and so amazing. It was a, a cuisine of, it was, it was uh, there, there were flavor combinations and cuisines that you would, uh, you would never experience anywhere else but a restaurant like that. Because what a lot of vegetarian and vegan restaurants do is they take, they, they take, they try to please everybody, which is in a way is a mistake. And they try to uh, borrow from a lot of different world cuisines and traditional cuisines. Uh, but this is like, this was the combination of Angelica. It was macrobiotic based, based, not fully. There were yeah. stretch, it stretched in and out of macrobiotic cuisine, which is a whole philosophy of eating, a Japanese philosophy of eating. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to call it Japanese. It was developed by a Japanese man, um, uh, philosophy of eating. Um, so it had like the, the foundation, like the whole grains and the shoyu and the brown rice and the unrefined sweeteners and sesame seeds and like things that you would find in Japanese cuisine. But it was also, um, it had other influences and it had um, a kitchen. Uh, I was one, so we had a support staff that were a lot of, um, some of them very famous rock stars, some of them very famous actors. Kerry Washington was one of my coworkers. Oh. And yeah, so like, there were a lot of people like that in the kitchen, but the people that made the food, there were really only a few white people, myself, my friend, Peter, everybody else was either, was either Mexican, Colombian, uh, from Argentina. So uh, you had all of these influences coming in as well with this macrobiotic food. And like, you just got things that you would never get anywhere because of all these different culinary influences coming in. And it was, it was incredible. Like the miso tahini spread on the, on the whole grain 
like miso and tahini like who's mixing that together and making spreads out of it like only angelica kitchen does stuff like that so um yeah so it's a, so it was great and they did a great job with it um it was you know thinking back now looking at what people like now it was earthy whole grainy antiquated um health food right like so we kind of love it when angelica closed people loved the experience of that and they loved it because of uh, I think the nostalgia of what Angelica represented for the past 40 something years, but what more people were doing, were going to get vegan pizzas, gourmet pizzas and, you know, like that's kind of where their time and money was getting spent as the cuisine evolved. But Angelica was this thing that people would still go to every once in a while to bring them back to that foundation, you know? So. Yeah. Wow. I wish um, you could have gone there. I really wish you could have gone there. I, I wish I could have too. I'm like, man, I really feel like, I mean, I really feel like because when I started getting to getting into healthier eating and really it was macrobiotics um, before when I was vegan and vegetarian, it was like for like really, you know, I was in my eating disorder. There was like all it was like I was trying to use these. Um, oh, I'm doing it for the animals, but really I was doing it because I wanted to lose weight. Like, um, so so th there was a long struggle with that. Um, and when I got into macrobiotics just five years ago, um, I really felt like I was in a much better place. And, um, and it's just kind of like funny that now um, knowing what I know, I'm like, I got into it like so late, like right when I, when I started getting into macrobiotics, like the KI just closed, like Michio died, like Angelica closed, like everything was like, like really like old macrobiotic was closing. And that's when I got, got into it. And I was like, man, but now who knows, maybe it's, you know, I'm doing my own thing with it, you know? Um, yeah. And there's still a few places and they'll, and I, it, things have resurgences in different ways, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you something. You've yeah. been making recipes from this book. <laughs> what, what is your favorite recipe from this book? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I really liked, there was, um, I think it was the balsamic herbed baked tofu or yes. something. Some of the tofu and tempeh marinades and stuff were so good. They had temp, they had tofu sandwiches, tempeh sandwiches, all different ways that they prepared that. And they and they, everyone had its own marinade. A lot of the times, the guys would make them up on the spot, but the classic ones, the ones that they repeated, like that's one of the best ones: the balsamic herb marinated temp, uh, tofu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like. I mean, there's just parts because when I read a, a book, I mean a cookbook is mostly recipes, but there's also other stuff in there. And I just, I just really loved learning like um, just different things, like the way that you cut a garlic, like releases more flavor than a certain way. And then just like the whole concept of like grating vegetables. I mean, I've grated vegetables before, but I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I don't know, just all these little like tips or like just different ways of just preparing even just one vegetable or you know and it really like inspired me to like oh you could do that oh can we do that and it just inspires your creativity and just gives you like a spark 
to be happy in the kitchen. And really, that's really important that when you make your food, that you are happy and you're not like, oh, I, you know, I hate this food. It's so boring, but it's healthy. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, there was a reverence to hands on cooking with Angelica, touching food. Um, everything was organic, almost like 99% of the food at the restaurant was organic. Uh, it, it was mostly local, like everything was very romanticized, but in a good way. You know, it was, it was in a, yeah. it was in a respectful way of the food. Uh, and we used to teach it and the chefs there were really great at, at, at doing those classes and teaching it. We're now mm -hmm. like things are a little, we still do cool stuff, but everything's like in the Vitamix or in the, you know, everybody's just blending and do, you know, it's yeah. not as a lot of machinery involved. For Angelica, like we, we had a, we, we made the sauerkraut, the Ruby kraut and Angelica when Pablo used to make it, there was a big crock and he had a, a big, uh, like a, a piece of a log that God, I don't know how many years they had it. And that's how he would beat the sauerkraut down with this big chunk wow. of wood. And like, um, everything was hand chopped, you know, it was just, uh, it's different. It was a different experience, a, a valuable one though, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, you you kind of already described the energy of Angelica kitchen, but, um, also too, from what I read and other things that I heard that it was kind of like you guys worked really really hard right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was definitely I mean that's all restaurants and kitchen life though people yeah. don't understand what, what real what real food production is so whether or not you're a French restaurant or whatever like you know if you're making food from scratch it's it's a lot um yeah we started I mean Angelica Kitchen never closed so here's how it worked I would get to work, I'll start with my day. <clears throat> I would get to work um, at either 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to start my shift, right? Depending on which job I was doing. Uh, and then from six to around 11, we were making the food that was gonna be served that day. Angelica had a very um, interesting setup. So we'd make all the food that was gonna be served that day. Um, and then there was a big staff meeting, everybody tasted the dishes and then they came up with all these special funny names and all these things. And I wish, you know, I, I didn't take them on the last night that Angelica was open, I went there and Leslie and I were downstairs in, in the basement office and we were just reminiscing and talking. And she was like, you know, is there anything that you want to take from here? And um, uh, I can probably still get these, but I wanted to take, a, I didn't take them. I wanted to take a, a stack of some of the names of all of the different things. Because every day they would have two daily specials and other things, and they would come up with a unique name and description for it every day. The, the manager, uh, the daily manager would have to do this. And um, anyway, so uh, we would have the meeting, then the restaurant would open and the support staff would come in. And that was all the musicians and the actors and everybody that works in restaurants. And it wasn't just the wait staff, but then the chefs would leave and then there would be a kitchen supervisor and they would be executing the food all day with the support of all these other people. You got a call there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my right. alarm went off for some reason. Um, and then uh, the restaurant would go until 10 p.m. And then the restaurant would close and they would clean and break it down. And then the night chefs would come in and start doing prep work. And they would work until from midnight until like 6 a.m. And everything ran on six-hour shifts, basically. And uh, it just never ended. Like, we just were always there making food, doing stuff. When I would start my day at 6, um, a lot of the times our classes would start at 7 p.m. at night. So... I'd work all day. I'd do some stuff in between and the city. And then I would get on to teaching, start prepping at four, teach at seven, uh, finish all that up by 10 o'clock. And yeah, it was a passion. I loved it. All I wanted to do was be immersed in food culture. And I wanted to be it done through the lens and the guide of that restaurant. 
Yeah. Aww. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I have some old Snapchat footage saved of the last night of Angelica, oh, really? which is yeah. I went to I was that's when I was using Snapchat at the time, and um, when Angelica closed, and I went and did a little story as it did. But um, are yeah. those? Do you have that available for? for people to see or no <laughs> i have it on a hard drive somewhere i could shoot it oh, over okay. to you if you want to see it yeah it's just me <laughs> like doing snapchat stories walking around talking to leslie and taking pictures of everything and, um very special moment restaurant of course packed i mean like packed for the two weeks after they made the or the month i think after they made the announcement waiting wow. list every night to get in like the whole city was just like so upset that angelica was leaving um but uh landlords raising you know, now there's some I, it's probably not there because of the stuff that's gone on with COVID or whatever and the city uh, shutting down the way it did some just cheesy awful restaurant is in its place right now yeah. you know uh, there's a big scene that goes on in New York City in the East Village where uh, there's been a, a big battle for the longest time between landlords and tenants where rents are just so high and everybody wants a it's just like banks all over the place because banks are the only people that are going to spend 50,000 a month on a on a on rent where like restaurants mm. you know and some of them do it but like it's just it sucks all of the life out of the restaurant because it's always yeah. a financial struggle you know um so that's that's kind of what happened to angelica you know um yeah well the spirit lives on yes i think it does <laughs> uh we're talking about it now god we're talking about it now um the podcast i did with leslie i don't remember what year she opened it but it was in the 70s and it was in well they opened it it was on saint mark's place they moved it to 12th street and uh it was like 40 something years in business you know yeah yeah um and um so you asked me what was my what was my favorite recipe huh? um what was your favorite dish to prepare at angelica oh. To prepare let's see i was a pastry chef so my the good thing about my job is that i didn't um i did not prepare the same thing every day right so there's a couple of base recipes and stuff but like i'm trying to think of what really stands out to me so one thing that uh um people nobody makes anymore <laughs> but it was a thing it was a tofu cheesecake now you mm. might be thinking that sounds horrible you know some people are like a tofu <laughs> cheesecake but when you are, so, you know, of course we had our tricks, they were silky, they were smooth. And I did so many flavor combinations of those. Um, the tofu cheesecakes and probably the, uh, the brownies that we used to make, the Angelica brownies were just amazing. And uh, they would always come up and bubble up over the side on the huge pans that we would do. So we would always have to chop the edges off and they were always crispy and like the whole staff would eat them. <laughs> You know, this is not food that I actually recommend now as a holistic uh, health practitioner, but um, at the time it was great transitional food. And that's what, what vegan food was in the 90s. And uh, it's just good memories. It was really good. So that's what I love. Brownies and cheesecakes. Um, and was there something you were especially proud of in contributing to Angelica Kitchen? There was a, um, an article came out in, uh, it was written by someone that worked at Angelica, a friend of mine in, in the New Yorker about the closing of that restaurant in New Yorker mm -hmm. magazine. And he describes the scene and what it was and what it represented so beautifully. And uh, I think just knowing that I was a part of that, that I contributed to that culture, you know, mm -hmm. of personalities and laughs and flavors and, 
you know, there was, there was a culture within the restaurant of the staff, like there's friends that I made there for life. There's people that work there that got married and have kids now that I see on Facebook. And like, um, so I just think uh, it was kind of like a high school for a lot of us. Like we kind of grew up there in a way. A lot of us are very young working there you know, for aging from late teens to twenties, to whereas most of the staff there, not so much the, the other people that worked in not, not so much the other chefs, um, um, a lot of the Mexican guys and stuff were, were a little bit older and had families already at that point. But like uh, the rest of the New Yorkers, the guys, the, the, the guys that were from New York or like the traveling musicians or whatever. And like, you know, like we all like this, we kind of grew up there in a way. And um, so I think just being a part of that, um, there was a photo shoot for the original cookbook that I'm so disappointed. Uh, the, the photos never, I don't know, as I said, they, they didn't work out. There's a team of professional photographers and I don't know, something didn't happen with those photos. And I, I'm kind of bummed because it was a really good day and it captured so many of us um, mm. uh, there, but I never got to see them, but I, that, that would have been, uh, that would have been something I would have cherished, I think, you know, just being part of that family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like when you were talking about it, it seems like you guys, I mean, I feel like when someone has a, such a like reverence, respect for nature, doing things, um, natural and old-fashioned or traditional I mean that really translates a lot of the time to how you treat people and it really seems like you guys really were kind to each other and really respected each other and really seemed like a really good family dynamic and it was we had that traditional family because like any young people working everybody thinks they know better than the boss and like you know <laughs> Everybody had this relationship with Leslie that was a little, oh, you're a little afraid of her. She's a little, could be a little critical these days, could be a little whatever, you know. Um, but at the same time, like even to this day, like she instilled a guiding principle in all of us as we got older. And like, I know chefs that like, you know, we used to shit talk, you know, the management or whatever and stuff. And now all we do is think back on that almost like a family. It's like, you know, like we love our parents, you know what I mean? Even, yeah. though we, even though we gave them a hard time when we were working and they've instilled things in us about like, that was like uh, one of the special things about Angelica to me is I still remember where I used to stand and cook every day. It was great. Cause I, I had a view to the street. It had big glass openings and the kitchen was exposed and upstairs. So I would see what was going on. And sometimes it was snowfall. And sometimes I'd see, I just get to watch the city waking up and moving. Cause I would start at six and, you know, it would sometimes it would be sun coming up or if it was winter still. And, you know, so I would, see everything happening and it was just a special place where while you're cooking I would be thinking and I was developing a lot of who I was like just mentally mm -hmm. and working through ideas and working through who I was and expressing myself with food and um so um yeah if I could if I could take that section of the restaurant out and preserve it somewhere I would <laughs> I would have done that Aww. so I could stand there again and experience it yeah um so great. Thank you for the for the walk down memory lane with Angelica. This is like the last time I talked about Angelica Kitchen, I think was in the podcast I did with Leslie. So that was a long yeah. time ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I was really fascinated when I picked up that book. I really believe. And then I heard Leslie. And then I really would like to connect with Leslie. I don't know what she's Dude. doing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where Leslie is right now. I know she's probably taking it easy a little bit because she's right. She, she, I mean, that being a restaurant owner in New York is insane, but um, she'd probably do your podcast. <laughs> cool. Well, to talk about the restaurant. Yes. I, I imagine she probably would. So. Um, yeah. Well, she, she talked about um, nature spirits and I was already 
into that <laughs> since I was a child. And it was just very cool. I think that definitely, like I mentioned to you before we, we started the interview, um, I really felt like when I was reading that book, like some kind of spirit, some kind of energy was like, ta-da! And I really feel like part of that was the spirit of nature, you know, nature spirits um, talking to me. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, so um, I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned, you know, we talked a little bit about macrobiotics and Angelica Kitchen did come from, you know, a macrobiotic origin, but I was just curious um, to know, like, what was your experience with macrobiotics? If you ever um, studied it or if you, what you saw other people um, who were maybe more macrobiotic or if you ever tried it yourself, what, what is your experience with macrobiotics? Um, I, I tried it in the way that, you know, in the 90s when I got into this, a lot of things in health, in the health food world were grounded in it. Everything was brown rice. Everything had sea vegetables, or, you know, a lot of that. Um, I think it's a really good grounding diet. I think most people would benefit from eating that way. I've ventured away from that a bit because I, I think about nutrition a little bit differently now. Uh, but it's, um, but I think it's a great way to eat. Uh, eat seasonally, eat locally, eat uh, organically, and eat food closer to its natural state. So less refined sweeteners, uh, whole grains, you know. Uh, macrobiotics is based in agriculture, so it's an agrarian way of eating. It, it, re it rewinds the clock a little bit back to uh, preparing food in a more simple way, a lot of the time in a delicious way, but a simpler way. Uh, you know, mostly based in Japanese culture, which has done a tremendous job with developing flavor from farming. You know, I mean, they, they have some really rich, rich and complex ways that they do things, just like making soy sauce, not the soy sauce people get at the the, the cheap sushi restaurant, but I mean like real traditional soy sauce, like, and misos and like, you know, things that are work with nature and fermentation and in a complex way to, to create an amazing food experience. So in that way, I love macrobiotics. Uh, I was dying to get out of it though, because it was the, you know, it was like, there was so many other cuisines and so many other things. And as a chef and someone that wanted to, 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 um, I wanted to always eat vegan and organic and clean, but yeah. The, the philosophies didn't always hold up, you know, like it could make it, it, that it was really important before we had everything at our fingertips, but you know, you want to experiment more. And, and that was one of the things that was challenging for Angelica. It was challenging for Leslie because Leslie, um, she held on to her ideals of local food and stuff like that. And for the longest time as pastry chefs were like, we could really do wonders with coconut and cacao butter. You know, we could really do like, you know, in other areas in the vegan world, we're elevating a little bit with the types of things. And we're like, how do they get that thing that creamier? How do they get, oh, and they're using like cacao or coconut butter, but that didn't grow anywhere in New York City. And yeah. that didn't follow macrobiotic things. You're not yeah. going to have tropical oils in a restaurant that, you know, and eventually she kind of moved out of that. But, um, but you know, we, we don't, we tend to not eat that way in a lot of our, we, a lot of people tend to not want that. They tend to want everything whenever they want it. So, um, and I, I might be one of those people too. Like I'll eat tropical fruits in the winter that come from South America or something. I just will, you know? And um, uh, so, you know, I moved away from it, the, the, the core of macrobiotics, but I learned about it and I practice it and I love eating the macro bowls and stuff. I used to love that all the time. Yeah. But now I'm primarily into something a little bit different. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I even, um, you know, I even go outside of, you know, what's macrobiotic, but really, um, I think just, um, just knowing what's right for you is actually the best thing. And, um, I think sometimes people get caught up in rules and restrictions. And I think, um, you know, I think, um, even, even with, uh, the philosophy of macrobiotics. Um, I think it's important that you are still flexible and you're not rigid because actually, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you know, you know, some some cases, but being so rigid, um, even when it's something that's supposed to be healthy for you, if you're not really listening to what you really need, your your body's needs, um, you know, that causes more problems, actually. So it's like, you can't get stuck. And I really liked, actually, I'm listening to your, your podcast, um, with your guests, you talk about that. And you talk about like, you can't, um, any, anybody that wants to heal or get better, get healthier, you can't be rigid. And um, I really liked, I really liked hearing that from you. Um, just because not just health people in general, but like, um, also like raw vegans, that's part of why I was always like, I don't want to go there because I always felt like, um, you know, a lot of people just have a really strict mentality when it comes to eating or healing, um, you know, and I just, coming from an eating disorder, I can't listen to that when you're very strict about food um, to where it's actually a problem, so... <laughs> Yeah, your food. So that's that's why I mentioned earlier when I when I got into clean eating, I was so enthusiastic about it. And I see a lot of people get into it because of um, because they're at war with themselves, or they uh, they are doing it because they're doing it for reasons outside of what their actual desires are. And what I mean by that is, I mean that um, they are eating a certain way because they don't like certain things about their body or their health, or they're trying to reverse something, but they're not actually super enthusiastic about eating the food. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, a, it's the, on the happiness scale, it's way low. So they might be yeah. eating all the right things, but they're not happy about doing it where I was, I, I really love the enthusiasm around that. I'm like, let's learn about new food. Let's do this thing. Let's watch our bodies change. This is fun. You know, um, if something is restrictive, like I tell people, I'm like, if, if I really wanted to eat pizza or like something like, I would not be doing this lifestyle of clean eating because I'm not that person. I much, I like indulgences. So, um, you know, so I really, what I did was I went deep on understanding food and how to prepare it and how to make it, um, how to make it an amazing part of my life. So, um, yeah, I see in a lot of, you, you, I, I notice, and, you know, people get very excited in the beginning and they go really hard, especially <laughs> conceptually, and they love the structure of things. I'm yeah. this, I'm a macrobiotic, I'm a raw vegan, I only do this, we don't eat that, we only, you know, they love the, that preachable, proselytizing part of it that defines them, uh, but I see a lot of crashing and burning with that. Yeah. You know, it's part of, it's a part of, and the only reason we know about it is because it's a part of social media and YouTube culture of, of, of what's happening right now. You know, people, people always tried things back in the day, but there was nobody to tell except for your friends. You know, now everybody's like, look at me, I do this, I do that. And then they like just crash out because they go too hard on something. 
Uh, they don't give their body time to adapt or they were never really grounded in what they were doing to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the way to really think about this stuff when people think about different food ideas, like the power of eating living foods or the power of eating whole foods or the power of fasting or the power of food combining or something. These are all tools that we can use. Yeah. Now, I always tell people when they learn about it, there's some people that are like, oh, I've been eating all wrong. And they're like beating themselves up. And I'm like, no, you just learned a new tool. You can use it if you want to. And you don't have to stress about it. Like, it's a very different way to use these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's really great. And I think, um, yeah, that to anyone listening or watching, you know, um, I know, uh, I know, like, like you said, Michael, um, that the structure people really find a benefit in, in structure in the beginning, but um, like, it's actually a lot, your life is going to be a lot easier if, if you can look at other things and not look at other things like, oh, that's a conflict, but like, oh, maybe, maybe that's the tool I can use at some point, you know? Yeah, that's the powerful way to do it. That's the empowering aspect of the cleansing life and clean eating. Yes. You know, is to approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah, we see a lot of disordered eating coming from that and a lot of um, uh, psychological conflict to eating clean because we take a lot of comfort, a lot of our processed foods, a lot of our foods that don't treat our bodies well make us feel really good though in the way that mm -hmm. drugs do. It doesn't serve yeah. us long-term, but it lights up pleasure centers in the brain. I mean, even if I ate a bowl of macaroni and cheese right now, haven't had that for 26 years, I'm sure I'd feel really good while I was eating it and then I would feel really bad, you know? Yeah. So um, it's hard to break away from that. Um, and uh, yeah, it creates a little bit of conflict and not everybody's ready for it, so. Yeah. Um, and so, so I wanted to know what, cause it sounded like in the beginning, um, I think you were, you were reading a lot of different things, um, but what guided you towards a raw vegan diet specifically? And what differences have you experienced since you made kind of like that choice? So um, at the time around 1999, I, it was one of the times I left Angelica for a few months. I went to consult a, um, a restaurant in Florida. So all of a sudden now I'm in Miami and uh, David Wolf had just written the, uh, the Sun Food Diet Success System. And this idea of eating only raw food became a thing. And then there was this guy, Giuliano, who was like a real eccentric kind of dude from Los Angeles that came to New York, gave us some invites, gave Angelica Kitchen some invites to his book party. He wrote a book called Raw. And I don't know if I still have that book. Um, he wrote a book called Raw and it was, um, it was about a raw food culture and how humans were only meant to eat raw food. So between David's book and his book, and then um, I, uh, we went to this event because nobody wants, none of the other people wanted to go in the kitchen, but my friend Peter and I were like, yeah, let's go check this out. And uh, we started learning about it. I fought it intellectually at first because I didn't understand nutrition the way I do now. Um, I had studied it through a lot of the, I, I, I had studied nutrition through food philosophies that were based in agrarian culture. I didn't realize that um, the human body and its relationship to the food on the planet happened before agriculture. And I, mm -hmm. I learned that later. I had the realization, but so I kind of fought it intellectually for a while, mm -hmm. but there was a, um, uh, there's a nutritionist. He's a mentor of mine and a dear friend of mine. His name is Dr. Fred Bishy, and he's the oldest living raw foodist in the Western world anyway. And he 
is in his 90s now. He's been eating a raw food diet for like 55 years, I think, uh, 100% all in, done deep tissue cleansing, fasting, uh, tons of water fasting. Like he's a very experienced person in regards to that. And he's a clinical nutritionist. He doesn't put his clients on diets like this or anything. This is his own experience. And he works with people where they're at and, and, and moves and works with them that way. But um, he was my nutritionist in 1995. And I picked up a book on raw foods and I see a picture of him in an interview. And I was like, wait, Fred's into, into raw food. So then I it started to give it a little more validity. And I started thinking about it a little differently and I started applying it. And I started realizing that it was actually the natural diet for humanity. And when I say that, I mean, I don't mean everybody today needs to do that, but if we're really thinking about it, just for the sake of intellectualizing it, like Yes, like we existed before fire, before we had command, well, not before fire, but before we used it as a tool. So that means that our bodies were living on, on raw food nutrition. And uh, anyway, I started working with that and fasting and I started doing colon cleansing, which is what I actually do now for a living. I'm a colonic therapist. And uh, through the cleansing work and through the raw foods and through releasing a lot of the grains out of my diet and pastas and tofu cheesecakes and, th and brownies and stopped eating all of that food, um, I improved tremendously, like physically and even mentally. So when I first got into this, I was eating garbage. I started eating, you know, the clean Angelica style macrobiotic vegan food had tremendous improvement. It was great, but it took me 10 levels higher when I started eating more raw food. Um, I have less mucus and congestion. I have less allergies. Um, I hold less weight on my body. I'm less puffy. I think a little more clearly uh, than I did then. So I don't really get sick all that much uh, anymore. Um, and I started to understand the benefit of that diet and it worked really well for me. So I stayed with it for a long time. I'm not hundred percent raw, but um, probably 90 something, 95% raw food. So um, the value of that was tremendous to me. And, and, I work, and I work with those elements. So even when clients are working with me, I'm always trying to increase the raw food. I'm not trying to make everybody be a raw foodist or be like, that's not my goal. And I don't even talk about that. But um, I probably do very similar to what Dr. Bishy does, where you're trying to balance out the way people are eating to um, help neutralize a lot of the negative impacts of some of their other food choices by including more raw foods and juices and hydration and things like that. So um, so that's how I got into that. Um, I didn't even understand it when it first started. It took me a while and it, it was experiential knowledge. Like I had to get into it. I didn't understand how it worked nutritionally. I didn't understand how cleansing worked. And then through reading and trying things and doing things, experiencing it myself, I was like, light bulbs started going off. And I was like, this is how it works. This is how it works. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm glad you, um, thank you for sharing like, you know, the beginning of it where you really didn't understand it and you really were trying to, you know, uh, intellectualize. And um, yeah, I think that's a really, I think um, I went through a similar thing too um, when, I, when I was um, eating macrobiotic and even when I was in recovery from my eating disorder. And um, that's something that I think uh, is really real for a lot of people, especially if if you're really serious about, you know, you're not coming to, you're not coming to food or changing the way that you eat from kind of a shallow place, like, oh, I just want to look cute, or like, you know, or like, this is the cool thing, like, it, there's actually a lot of the times a struggle to, um, you know, intellectually to change, and um, yeah, thank you for sharing. 
Yeah, and that's where a lot of the dogma comes from too. That's where we were talking about like the people on Instagram and stuff and the people that are raw vegan that come at it so hard. It's because they don't know, it's either not working for them or they don't know how it works yet. And that's why they need to make all the other food uh, philosophies wrong. So you ever see the people that identify by criticizing other food philosophies that are not whatever theirs is? Like the endless memes, endless content about that, endless, endless, endless. <laughs> You know, and it's because there's something in there that's not working for them. They don't know if it's going to work yet, because once it does and years and years go by, yeah. you know, you don't really care to attack other things. Now, look, if somebody asks me as a practitioner or if I'm doing a Q&A on Instagram, and they start talking about carnivore diets or paleo. Like, yeah, I got shit to say about that, but I don't mm-hmm. wake up and go, I need to attack this thing today yeah. to prove my point that my way of eating is right. Like, I don't do that. I just talk about the value that I get from my from my lifestyle. So. Um, yeah. so that's where a lot of that comes from, you know, uh, people not, not quite getting it and understanding it yet. And I was very preachy in the beginning too, because I wanted it to be right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be right about it. So if I, you know, if you talk about it and preach about it, then, uh, maybe it will be, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, but do you see people in your work who take detoxing too far um and how are you able to guide them back to stability i can't always um you know uh, yeah. it's um some people I, well most people bring themselves back real quick because detoxification yeah. work where i see people go too too hard on it and go too deep on it it's not with them doing it um intelligently it's them doing it from a place of enthusiasm and emotion so they usually yeah. crash and burn because it, it, detoxification work is, is based in consistency. It's based in being okay, not feeling well and understanding it and entering into the process. It's, being, it's on um, releasing a lot of the feel-good foods that we used to have that aren't really good for us. That, like I said, they're more like drugs in our system. Um, and that's challenging for a lot of people. So um, they, they, they'll read the book or see the person on YouTube or see, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then they go on a juice fast, you know, like something they're totally not ready for. And uh, they usually crash and burn. Some people are very successful with it. Um, And that's why I really try to push the enthusiasm. I'm like, we need this to be fun and exciting. Like you need to have fun in the kitchen. You can't be sitting there going, I wish I had this, but instead I'm eating this brown rice crap or something, you know, like (laughs) we need you to be like very happy about what you're eating so that it's a fun experience and elevating momentous experience that we're moving into. Um, uh, but so most people, that, that, that's a very self-correcting type of situation anyway. People go way hard on it. Um, but there are people that I see that do do it. Um, and they almost, they like lose their minds on it. And it's like, they almost become a burden to their own bodies. Like I can think of someone specifically now that had cancer and they healed themselves, but like they're on everything. They're like, right, I'm going to fast and I'm doing colonics and I do my saunas every day. And I go for the special oxygen chamber treatment and I go for And like, they're going for things all day. And I'm like, this is all really good. And I'm glad you have the budget to do this, but this is so not necessary and just reflects a mental state. This is all, there's an anxiety around this. I get it when people are really sick and they heal themselves and they want to stay well, you know, like I get that, but like there is going too hard because when you look at people like Dr. Bishy, myself, Gil, we're not doing a lot of these things even the really good things. Cause no one has, can afford the time or the money sometimes to go get the treatments and the thing okay. like, you know, we'll do colonics when we need them. We definitely love to get in saunas. I like cold immersion and getting in cold showers and then we eat clean, but like, and we work out. A lot of us work out for some, whatever it's either going to, you know, it's either strength training or, 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 
uh, endurance exercise or whatever. So like, I know Dr. Bushy runs a lot. Gil and I both do similar things. We like, he lifts weights and I do kettlebells and stuff. You probably see him in the back there. So like, there's that, but like, that's it. Like we're not going and getting special transfusions and IV drips and like uh, rectal ozone and like, you know, which is not like all great stuff, but is it essential to the success of the lifestyle? No, people look at us and they go, you guys look great. And Gil, look, and Gil and Fred look amazing for their advanced ages. And like, I can't believe all the energy you guys have. And like, there's no real magic that goes on with us. We do the same thing. Watch my Instagram. I make smoothies every day. I make juices every day. I eat raw salads at night, you know, and I do this over and over and over again. Sometimes I'll go deep into a fast. Sometimes I'll do some extra spa work kind of stuff like that. But for the most part, once you detox and you maintain and you keep a clean chemistry consistently, that's really all you need. Yeah. I don't have to do a coffee enema three times a week, you know? Yeah. For some people that's important. If you have like an issue you're trying to work through, but like the day to day, like you don't have to go that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for sharing about that. Um, Cause a, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, like you said, they don't really know, or maybe they're just too enthusiastic or it's important. There's um, um, one of my macrobiotic friends, he says, don't bring your, <laughs> it's kind of funny the way he says, it. he's like, don't bring your mental illness into the kitchen. <laughs> you know, he's like, um, basically, yeah, like, um, you can just kind of like what, what we kind of said earlier, it's like, um, um, even something that's supposed to be good for you, if you take it too far, it's like, there's other things, um, going on there. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember someone saying to me something about food combining and she said, she's a friend and a client. And she was like, Mike, don't bring up the concept of food combining to me. She goes, it, that just breeds eating disorders. And I was like, we bring that to the concept of food combining. We have to heal yeah. ourselves. I mean, food combining is just the concept. It's just a concept. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's like we, we bring all that to the concept, you know, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. We got to watch yeah. that. Not, not to bring, oh. not to bring things into our, uh, into our kitchen and into our programs. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's so many things, you know, just like anything in this world, anything can be taken like, oh, you know, anything can be, but um, I think it's really important, especially when it comes to food, like everyone has to eat and everyone is coming from a different place, you know, not, you know, it's like um, not to get, not to take it personal or take it like an attack or, um, yeah, I, I used to, I used to really, when I was in my recovery for my eating disorder, I used to take any little thing anyone said about food. I was like, what? Are you calling me fat? What? Are you trying to push your disorder on me? I was like, always like that. But it was, you know, just because of where I was coming from, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and actually, I wanted to ask you about bentonite clay. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that in your questions and I was like, that's an interesting one right in the middle. <laughs> well, wait, oh, well, you know why? Because I recently I have this book called Our Earth, Our Cure okay. Um, okay. by Michelle Abacera and um, Raymond Dietrich. Um, okay. And it's really talking about clay and like how great it is. And I was like, what? I never, 
I, I never really knew that much about clay. And so um, I kind of started getting into it. And I actually, um, I feel like maybe I am just not looking in the right places, but I feel like it's kind of hard to find out <laughs> about it or like, um, I don't really know that much. So I, and I know you mentioned it in one of your podcasts. So I was like, oh my God, let me ask him. <laughs> we talk about it uh, sometimes um, because it's used in certain cleansing programs. It doesn't hold a big place in the cleansing life, uh, Benton. I, like it's not, it's not like a, a daily thing, like juicing or something like that. But yeah. um, there's a lot of intestinal absorbents. Charcoal is one of them. There's different fibers and then there's different clays. And you'll see animals, if they eat poison something, berries or something, some of them will eat clay as well and they'll eat charcoal. Um, I remember um, seeing a video recently in the like, somewhere last year or something with an elephant and it looked like the elephant was blowing a big cloud of smoke out of its mouth. And what it was doing is it was uh, eating ash out of an ash pit, out of like a fire pit. And I guess it probably was doing that because it wanted like the char right to for for whatever reason right and uh it was as it was exhaling like it wasn't actually on fire charcoal but it was like the powdery stuff was pluming out of its mouth you know and i was like what is this elephant doing then i realized oh it's eating out of a fire a used fire pit um so and they'll eat clay as well and it's an intestinal absorbance and um bentonite clay um where does it come from uh wyoming Fort Benton, Wyoming. That's where bentonite comes from. And then there's another mm. one that comes from France, uh, a type of clay that, that, that's in France that you, that's very similar, um, but it comes from a different region. And uh, you can take it and it will uh, absorb certain toxins and bind them up and pull them out of the digestive tract. So it works really well that way. Uh, charcoal works a little bit differently, but uh, charcoal works great too. Like um, I have this here, I have this... Um, coconut charcoal. I really like that. I'll, that I'll use. Now I don't take this stuff on a daily basis. This is part of the vitality broom cleanse, which is one of the ways some people set, uh, set up for treatments when they come and see us. Um, but if you're ever feeling a little gross in the abdomen, or if you're feeling like if you've had food poisoning, or if you um, are in the middle of a fast and you want to take some charcoal water or something or some, uh, char I would say charcoal water is going to be the lightest. Bentonite clay is going to be a little bit heavier and it doesn't always move through the body very well. So if you have a yeah. good moving digestive system, great. If you don't, then you might not want to take clays and things like that. You might want to take some charcoal and some broom foods, which are the foundation for the Vitality Broom Cleanse. So people can read about that. It's a free cleanse. People can download all the recipes, whatever. Um, I, I won't get into that here, but um, the Vitality Broom Cleanse was actually developed as a food-based way for people to sweep the intestines without having to take fibers and clays. Fibers mm -hmm. and clays, though, are, are important uh, sometimes to do, uh, depending on if, what stage of detoxification somebody's in. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it could be really good for the skin and extracting from the skin, but it can also dry it out as well. So you have to be careful. And that's because as the clay dries, it draws and it attracts and it'll pull a lot of stuff out of the skin. So that's why you see people in the Dead Sea doing the mud baths and stuff and a lot of spa treatments and mud baths. That's basically a clay that they're, that they're doing. Uh, might not be the same as bentonite, but um, yeah, similar properties. Cool. Well, thank you for that, for that insight. Yeah. Um, and also, um, a lot of people have asked me, um, and I kind of didn't have an answer, really a good answer for them, I felt like, but um, how can you tell the difference between 
a detox symptom and something that should be considered a problem? Yeah, great question. Um, because a lot, so a lot of the symptoms of detoxification are similar. I mean, if you ever go to like, this is the, the funny thing where there's memes about this. If you feel like something's wrong with you, I have a headache and I'm sweating. And then you go to pub, uh, you go to, um, to, uh, WebMD and it's like, you're dying, you know, cause everything, all the symptoms, there's symptoms of yeah. everything. Like symptoms could overlap all over the place. It could be something terribly serious or it could just be a hot day. Like, you know, yeah. um, so, uh, but the interesting thing is detoxification symptoms are very similar, if not identical sometimes to, uh, having different conditions or being, or having just like a cold and a flu. So a lot yeah. of the time, the common cold is a detox. It's the body yeah. purging through the chest through the sinuses, you know, it's just, those are the areas of elimination that the body's choosing to release. When I quit smoking and drinking and, you know, I lived in New York and worked with chemicals in the photo industry. Like when I got away from all that and started getting into clean eating, I was always like colds, colds, colds. I, I didn't have colds. I had, I had detoxifications happening. Right. Um, uh, the flu as well, like really interesting. Sometimes it's hard to know if you're actually sick or not. Now you can crash your immune system and get the flu. Right. But um, for the most part, most people getting the flu in flu season, they're not actually suffering from the effects of viruses or bacteria. What's happening is their body's going into a cyclical stage of detox because of the hot cold fluctuations and the change yeah. of the season. Um, I, I, and I've always known this and we've known it as practitioners, but like any medical professional would be like, no, 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 you, you're sick. You have the flu, take an antibiotic or whatever, or, or just rest or whatever, you know, um, but interestingly enough, you would see the symptoms disappear very rapidly when you would get involved in cleansing work. Now, not if you're like 104 fever and you're in bed and you can't, you're crawling to the bathroom, you don't have to go into a sauna. It's not the wise thing to do. But when you start to not feel well, if you start to take hot Epsom salt baths, maybe a cold flush in the shower, you hydrate, you empty your bowels, you get faster a lot easier. So you're like, well, what's happening here? Um, There's an article that I was reading about there are these fuel lines in air in airplanes and uh, they leak and they get jet, jet fuel smell uh, into the cabin. So for somehow, I don't know who designed this or how it actually works, but the air circulation in the cabin of an airplane shares some area with where jet fuel is exchanged. I don't get mm -hmm. it, but there's big, there's been major leaks of it that'll cycle through a flight and people get sick. And what they're finding in, in the airline industry, interestingly enough, will not put in sensors, even though the uh, flight attendants and those unions and those people want them because they think it's going to invite a whole bunch of lawsuits and problems. So they won't put in these sensors in the planes. Uh, and the people that are really at most risk, I mean, it really sucks for anybody that's on a flight, but for people that are flying all day, uh, that could be horrible, right? So... Um, there's a lot of toxicity associations with that headaches and sinus things and all this stuff. But when they had a major fuel uh, leak into the air, into a, into a, um, uh, the cabin of an airplane, uh, it was a big story. I don't know if uh, it wasn't a highly published story, but you can Google it. It's, it's a lot of news outlets covered it. Um, a lot of the people were suffering symptoms first of like a lot of skin stuff, but fever, body ache and congestion. That's the same symptoms as, as the flu. Now, why did they have those same symptoms? Because it's chemical toxicity that's triggering the immune system and the detoxification pathways in the same way that germs or viruses would, right? Yeah. So it can be a little tricky to understand what state you're in. The best way to understand it is if you're eating cleaner and doing better things for your life and your diet was toxic and now you're doing things that are better for you, 
and maybe you're doing hot cold immersions or you just started colonics or maybe you're not doing any of that but you just started eating clean if you start to have headaches pimples fevers body ache don't just be like oh i'm sick i crashed my immune system because i'm vegan and i'm weak because i didn't eat meat for the weekend you know like that's not what happened like you're entering into a stage of detoxification i lost like 60 pounds in four months and my body stripped itself way down i got sick a lot sick detoxed a lot and then i rebuilt my body you know i used to eat so much more food back then too than i do now and uh and I have so much more energy and I have more weight on now than I did initially when I took my deep dive and my body stripped itself down. But the body's looking to break itself down and rebuild itself when it's built on crap. It's always looking for improvement. We just get in the way with all of our toxic habits. When we get out of the way of that, it starts to do its work. And that's where the, that's where the sweating, the cold, the colonics, the, the practices start to come in to help the body through that. But the body automatically goes into that process. So if you're doing those things and you don't feel well, you might be doing exactly what you want. You might be initiating that process and it doesn't feel good. So there needs to be a willingness there to understand it. Um, most people, because we're so adverse to feeling bad, and we're always, we're pleasure seekers as beings anyway. We're always looking for the food or the thing or sex or like every, you know, that's like, we're always looking for the experience to make us feel good, you know? Um, so that's kind of what keeps us alive, keeps us looking for food and procreating and, you know, but, um, but we, we tend to move away from pain and we tend to move towards pleasure. So our medical system is set up to, oh, you don't feel good. You need to take that away immediately. Not like you need to hear that communication from your body that it's detoxing or you need more sleep or that food didn't work for you, right? It's more like you need to stop this immediately. Yeah. Dr. Bishy calls it curing the cure. He's like, most people try to cure the cure. They start detoxing, they start not feeling well. And instead of going through the process, they immediately want to stop it with drugs. Mm -hmm. So, um, but of course that can get a little dangerous. I mean, you know, uh, if for the, actually when I say it can, in a rare circumstance, it can be dangerous where somebody can yeah. misread their symptoms. Um, but usually things that are seriously wrong with somebody, it's going to be a repetition of symptoms that are going to go way outside the box and you're going to end up in a doctor's office. It's not going to be like, I got sick for five days and I decided yeah. to drink, I decided to not take Tylenol and I decided to, you know, drink water and do an enema and, you know, like that's not usually where, where somebody goes wrong, you know, that's usually fine. Um, but you know, somebody has something developing in their body. They usually figure it out be before not too long. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, I agree. Everything that you said, I agree. And I think part of it is um, self-reflection. I think a lot of people, they're like, um, you know, they have some kind of symptom, um, dry skin or whatever, you know, and, um, and even, even like you said, like people who do already eat healthy, healthier, you know, um, and it's like they don't go back and see like, what did I eat today? What did I eat yesterday, the day before, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and the thing is like, if, if you have been eating pretty clean, pretty healthy, and maybe one day you eat something you haven't eaten in a long time, um, and that, that is connected, you know? It's, um, it's not all, and sometimes like, um, the effects are very quick, you know, um, I remember, <laughs> I remember one time a few years ago, I saw some vegan marshmallows at Trader Joe's, and I usually don't um, eat refined white sugar. And I just thought it was Christmas time. I was like, mm, maybe I'll try those. <laughs> and I remember I was leaving the house and I was like, oh, I just want to try one really quick. 
and I was eating it and you know chewing it and from the point where I put it in my mouth in the kitchen and I walked to my car already I felt my throat was like that feeling in your in your throat and you feel like you're getting sick I was like oh my god I just ate this one marshmallow two seconds ago you know so it's like a clean body will respond so fast so fast so that's something for people to know you know once you're into this for a long time if you practice clean eating you and it's a great communication your body will let you know the moment you step out of it yeah you know i because i I, i'm uh, very overwhelmed with time and stuff like that i'm forget every day that every time i brush my teeth my body creates all sorts of mucus and I'm blowing my nose for the first 60 seconds afterwards because it hates whatever that's in the tooth. It's a natural toothpaste, but it's not food and it doesn't like it. And I'm like, oh, I got to get something cleaner. I got to like use some baking soda and whatever. I don't know. You know, I got to make something so I'm not like getting this mucus response, but my body responds like that, you know, and it'll let you know immediately. Yeah. Um, so that marshmallow. Yeah. I think if I ate something like that too, immediately, I'd probably feel it in my throat, sinuses congested. Yeah. So in a way, that's a good, it's a good sign. Yeah. Not a good, not a good sign if someone's not relaxed into their lifestyle and they've gone too hard on cleansing and they really want to go eat marshmallows. But if you're like, yeah, I really don't want that in my life. And then your body goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so <laughs> something you talk about in, in your podcast, um, you talk about the connection between eating and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this comes up in a lot of places, you know, and I, this has, this is kind of like my main thing um, with what I'm trying to express to the world, you know, is eating is not just, you know, to look a certain way um, or an ethical thing. It goes beyond there's, it's so much bigger than what people think. And um, I just wanted to hear what do you think is the connection between eating and spirituality well eating in in, in many ways is our actual it's it, it is the way we show up in life uh, the majority way we show up in life it is our dance with life i remember i was at a um personal development seminar once uh where you are in los angeles and um there were all these people there that were like a lot of overweight americans and you know coffee drinking yellow teeth whatever you know and then they they would, we did all these processes together and they can be very deep, vulnerable uh, uh, places for growth and like really wonderful, you know? Um, and I'm doing these processes with them and I'm like the only vegan raw guy hanging out there, you know, maybe not the only one, but like 1% of the people there. And then at the end, and they're, they're coming to all these realizations about their life, what they want to create with their business, um, really feeling deeply about how they want to impact the world. And I am love and I am this and I am light and like all these kind of things getting said. Okay. Which is good. It was great deep work. Um, uh, and it was taking people out of their comfort zones, taking people out of their lives, really getting them clear on, uh, on what they want to create and who they are. And then lunchtime comes and everybody, it was near the airport in a hotel, the event, right? So every, you know, I have my little Tupperware of whatever the hell I ate, you know, raw vegetables and avocados and stuff. And they are all migrating, the few hundred people at the event are migrating across the street to KFC and McDonald's and all these places. And I'm like, this is interesting. I'm like, and I'm not judging them. I'm just watching yeah. them go because everything that you said that you were and how you want to be in the world is the exact opposite of what you're doing with your time, your body, your money, and your actions right now. You know, and yeah. I didn't say this to these people, but I'm thinking it. Right. So really what, when it, what it comes to as being a spiritual act, it, it's, um, it's a, because we have choice 
So like, let's just talk about the veganism for a moment as a spiritual pursuit. It's not a natural way for humans to eat. No humans eat this way, uh, except for people, you know, in Los Angeles and New York. And like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a new thing. And the reason it's a new thing is because we have choice now. So no mm -hmm. one's going to judge that the people in the Amazon that are living off the jungle that might, you know, like eat whatever, you know, um, people living, hunter-gatherer people living in balance with nature have every right to live and to be there. Every human has every right to live and to nourish and to be here. But mm -hmm. when we have agriculture, and now we have the choice, right? Because yeah. spirituality is about choices. How can we show up in different ways? You know, can we help that person or can we just be on, get on with our own lives? Or like the spiritual act would be to, to, to sacrifice whatever you're doing and try to help someone in need, right? That's like a spiritual act. So when it comes to creating less suffering in the world and not killing to eat or not spraying pesticides on the world to eat, this is all within somebody's power or choice. And this is, I mean, if someone's like, so I want people to get this. If someone's low income and they can't afford whatever, like it's all about making the best choice is the spiritual. Yeah. It's not about being perfect and getting all your stuff at a fancy organic juice bar in, in LA, right? No, we're not talking yeah. about that. But when someone has the choice to go, oh, I could eat a chickpea avocado salad or I can eat a being that was alive and had to die. The choice is the spiritual act. You have a choice now to do mm -hmm. that. Agriculture has given us that choice. Because in natural worlds, people don't live on pure vegan diets or whatever. You know, they, they live in balance with nature. And sometimes it's, um, sometimes things have to die for other things to live. That's fine. That's part of the setup. But we find ourselves in a very unique position. So that's where the spiritual pursuit of it comes in. You know, the fruitarians and stuff will tell you that humans are meant to be natural fruitarians and all these things. And it's like, uh, there's no, you know, there's some fruitarian monkeys. And yes, we are. Uh, um, we do have physiological relations to them. But for the most part, even the vegan raw food, almost fruitarian animals that we're so connected to, a lot of them still eat insects and stuff like that. So yeah. they're not purely vegan, right? Um, so we, if we were really to model their diet, we would be to be eating fruits and to be eating roots and to be eating greens, but it would also probably be fortification with some little bit of animal or insect food, right? But we don't eat that way. We don't need to make some people do around the world, but we don't eat insects in our culture, right? So um, chickpeas, avocados, hemp seeds, that's what we go for for the concentrated proteins and good fats. And we have that from farming. So it's about the choice that we can do that. So how do you choose to live? And to have the choice to not have suffering, to, to have the choice to contribute less to suffering, but to not make it, that to me is a little bit of a spiritual, not to make it, not because, you know, to not make it just because you like it. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a little bit of a fall. You're kind of falling yeah. off spiritually. You could show up better spiritually to go, Oh, yeah. you know what? I don't want any cows to die. I'm going to eat hemp seeds in my salad today. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it right there. That's, that's how we show up in the world, how we spend our money. If are we, are we contributing to cultures that dump poisons all over the planet and destroy forests and rainforests, like with cattle farming and stuff. And, um, that, you know, that slaughter animals that get tortured and live horrible lives. That's one way to show up. And then the other way to show up is to go, no, we don't have to do that. We could eat organic food or, you know, as long as it's in someone's means, we could eat organic food and we could eat food that is less. And people will make an argument about, oh, vegans don't realize if they're eating rice or they're eating wheat or whatever, like how many animals get killed in the uh, tilling process of all of this food, you know, when like the big uh, when the, when the big, uh, I don't even know if I'm using the right word. I know that there's tilling of soil, but also I don't know what they use. The big things that, su that go through the fields and suck everything. Like they kill mice, they kill insects, they kill bunnies, they kill, you know, cause it's just big fields that don't get touched yeah. for months at a time. And then they just 
roll through with machines and fuck everything up. Sorry, <laughs> cursing on yeah. you. Um, <clears throat> but is it less suffering than actually eating yeah. the animals? Yes, it is. So, you know, so it's about, it's about choosing and about what you want your food to represent. And it's also very respectful to your body when you're eating, you know, uh, clean foods too. It's, it's, it's a spiritual act to be respectful to this beautiful um, um, vehicle that we're using to experience life the way that we are, you know, so. You know, not to get too woo-woo with it, but like that's that's what it is. That's how we yeah. spend time. What do we do more than we do affirmations, than we pray? I mean, there's always exceptions as Tibetan monks and stuff, but look, the rest of the culture, what do we do? We don't do our affirmations and prayers and diaries and vision boards and all the things that we want for our life. We don't do that as much as we eat. We eat more than everything by like 90%. All of our great intentions towards the world. We eat more than we exercise. We eat more, you know what I mean? So that's really how we're showing up. Does it leave a trail of destruction and suffering or is it leave a trail of less destruction and suffering? Choice is ours. And that's the spiritual choice. Yes. Our body is our temple. Yes. <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, I say, I say all the time, it's like, we wouldn't like, it's important. Our health is important to everyone. And of course, you know, not everyone is going to prioritize that and that's okay. But we wouldn't be in this human body if we didn't have to also work on that, if we didn't also have to worry about that, if we didn't have to worry about our health, if we could just rely on spiritual stuff, we'd still be a, a spirit floating around, <laughs> you know? We're here on purpose, you know, yeah. to work with this medium of all of this, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the spiritual aspect. And now there's also a part of it too. And you'll see a lot of the old school books and stuff. They do talk about fasting and things like that. Things happen to the consciousness when you start to change the body. We had talked, I don't know if you, I don't know if that's going to make it into the podcast, but we had talked initially before we started rolling, I think really into this about, um, you know, taking steps toward your health. We had, we had uh, talked about that quote from the autobiography of Malcolm X. If you take one step towards Allah, Allah will take two steps toward you. And we weren't talking about it in a religious context, but more conceptually what that means and, and how we both experienced that. Like when you start to cleanse out the body, a lot of people experience more spiritual energy running through them. Okay, so what does that mean? That sounds very woo-woo and weird, right? But like, um, uh, it means that you're um, the, the uh, compassionate brilliant nature of who we are becomes more apparent and almost everyone i know that's done deep levels of fasting or clean eating or raw foods has some experience on that level you know um it's going to sound a little wacky but you know you get a clearer communication from god or the universe yes. when you're when you're operating that way um, um it's actually a big thing in the i don't know which christian church or which faith it is but you know, dr fred Bishy is christian and like he would always talk about like this big movement in there, especially with like Seventh Day Adventists and stuff, mm -hmm. where they talk about, you know, really uh, getting a connection to God, but not really getting a clear connection through a toxic body. It doesn't mean God's not present through all that, but um, right. as you start to cleanse out, this is why the whole thing with Jesus fasting forty days and forty nights in the desert. This is why in Islam, in Judaism, in Christianity, and in the major religions, you see a lot of fasting work being done there because of the cleansing work it's not just about abstinence and you know they taught yeah. me in school when i went to catholic school that it was about appreciation you'll be so hungry you'll appreciate the fact that you have food like so i thought that's what it was about it wasn't really about that it was about cleansing the body these are 
physical practices that help invite spiritual energy. And that's why they're always done in conjunction with prayer. You fast and you pray at the same time. And that's where that tradition comes from. So, um, and that's more experiential. I don't have much more on that. I don't know how to explain that to somebody, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely. I mean, that was something I was not expecting <laughs> when I, when I was, uh, transitioning a few years ago, I started to experience some really weird things. I was like, what? I was, you know, like basically like, um, like being able to see things coming or, or being just, my intuition was just going crazy. I was like, what is happening to me? (laughs) Oh, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you like friends listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube video, go back on my YouTube videos a few years ago. You'll see me talking about anytime I heard something about psychic, I was like, oh my God, I can't, that's, I can't get into that. That's so weird. And meanwhile, go to my Etsy shop, get a psychic reading from me. <laughs> so the, the food changed me. Um, or actually just brought, brought my true self here. Just like you said, a clear connection, a truer you. Um, and really, that's we're all unique spirits. And don't we want to be, we want to embrace our unique qualities? I mean, it's a whole thing. We could talk forever about that, but um, podcast yeah. number two. <laughs> yes, um, and some things. I mean, I I also wanted to just ask. I know we're getting kind of long, but um, what are your top three tips for detoxing? Okay, let's see if I can put these in top three. Um, first one is consistency, meaning it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen as an event. Like, yes, the juice fast can have a powerful change in your chemistry, but the compound interest on cleansing work and detoxing happens from what you're doing day to day, every day for the rest of your life. So they're not events. You don't go through cyclical detoxes. I mean, you could do this to rev it up, but it really matters what happens in between. It doesn't matter that the season changes. So that's when you get your colonic and do a three-day juice fast. That's great. These are good practices, but everything that happened all summer and then everything that happens all fall and your day-to-day life is where all the compound interest comes in. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, that's really powerful. Um, <clears throat> the other one to, for, thing for people to really start to get into practice and to understand, and this is not, and these things are important to people at different stages of this. So if you're first getting into this, I ate a lot of food when I first got into this. But uh, what you start to realize for advanced detoxification is it happens detoxification and, 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 uh, and the rejuvenation part of our, our chemistry happens in the emptiness. So it happens between mm-hmm. meals. So the eating all day or the waking yeah. up and immediately putting food in, like we need time and nice, they call it intermittent fasting. Now they used to just call it not eating breakfast, but, um, you know, really, um, and this looks different for some people. Some people, it looks like you don't eat anything till 1230. Other people, yeah. it looks like, oh, you'll drink some raw vegetable juice and have some herbal teas or mushroom tea, you know, like depends on what you need to get yourself there. Yeah. At the beginning and the transition, but really going to sleep empty, having the overnight fast and not eating immediately in the morning, hydrating first with water, having the first thing that goes into your body being, you know, uh, uh, juice or some fruits or something that's going to continue and initiate more of a cleansing process before we start getting into heavier foods. That's a good practice for people to really start to get into, not stacking food all day. So 
getting into, not grazing, but getting into, I ate a meal and now I'm done for four to six hours until my next meal. And like really yeah. giving about it. You digest the food and now there's emptiness. It's not just this constant because that actually does affect the body more in the way of just calories. It interferes with uh, all the other self-corrective processes that the body's trying to get through. And a lot of that, so like, so for example, like with the overnight intermittent fast, um, there's a lot of studies on it now. So you can look them all up. Um, they, uh, they're observing that the body's not only cleansing out endogenous waste, but the body is finding damaged DNA, which can lead to cancer and it's cleaning up uh, yeah. those DNA cells. It's, they have fancy words for it. They call it catabolizing, which is basically just breaking up and eating and, and discarding um, uh, or autophagy, which is the act of cells destructing themselves that are not healthy cells and then releasing from the body. You know, So, they, so they're observing all of this going on. So it's a great way to clean up your chemistry and and, and, and uh, have a lot of self-correction happen. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, you know, when it comes to all the little products and stuff like that, don't get wrapped up in that stuff. The one thing that you should really, if you're going to put time, money, and energy into something, it's raw vegetable juicing. That's like just raw vegetable juicing on an empty stomach, first part of the day, most powerful practice you can have before you get into like, you know, ozone enemas and, and buying an infrared sauna and like you know like if you're not juicing every day almost every day you don't have to drive i'm not saying you have to drive yourself nuts but you know if that's not a daily part of your experience as often as possible you don't have to bother getting all the other stuff like do the most powerful thing first the way that that feeds the blood the way that it neutralizes acid it is the way that it heals it's so powerful and you want variety in there not just fruit juice lots of greens and, and, and other vegetables and carrots and beets and things like that one of the most powerful acts you can have. Yeah, and I mean, um, I want to ask you, you know, because you, you know more more about you know raw foods and and this type of thing more than me. But I would I would think that it would be important that people get um, the raw produce and then juice it themselves rather than buy it already juiced. Or does it kind of not matter? <laughs> um. It doesn't matter, honestly. I mean, of course, it's gonna, we're splitting hairs, but of course, if you do yeah. it right in front of yourself, like and drinking it, it's going to be the best. Okay. Uh, we don't all have lives that allow for that. So even when I juice at home, I'll juice enough for three days and then we're drinking it for three days and I store it myself. There's a raw food restaurant here in town that does cold pressed juices. If it's in a bottle, if it's at room temperature in a bottle, it's definitely dead. Even if it's in a refrigerator in a bottle, it's probably definitely dead unless it's a cold pressed juice. Okay. Um, not to get technical, but there's something called HPP, which is high pressure pascalization, which is a cold pasteurization in a sense. It's called pascalization, not pasteurization. There's a little difference because one uses pressure and one uses heat, but okay. it's still kind of a dead juice, to be honest. So okay. you want to go for a place that's cold pressing, not pressure pasteurizing, not heat pasteurizing the juice. If you get that bottled, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Like, yeah, the at the moment we expose it to oxygen, we lose a little bit of vitamins, a little bit of enzymes. It, it's not a big deal. The best juice is the juice that we drink consistently, not the bottled stuff on the shelf, not the pasteurized stuff, not that we yeah. want to stay away from that, but making it fresh at home, we're getting it from a juice bar or a restaurant that specializes in making it fresh and raw. That's great. You don't have to do it yourself. You can cool. store it for a couple of days in the refrigerator. You just want to make sure it's happening. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then some questions I kind of ask, I ask all my podcast guests is what, what is the last meal you ate? 
That was last night. That was dinner. And we, did, we hardly had anything. So I made a salad with spinach, cabbage, carrots. And I put in some pumpkin seeds and cashews with some type of vinaigrette that I made out of like apple cider vinegar and olive oil and stuff like that. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just make something quick kind of meal. Yeah, that's, yeah. All, I, that's all I ate last night. Um, yeah, that was the last meal that I ate. I didn't have time to eat anything today because I've been with my son all morning and stuff. So I'm going to eat. I think I have a one o'clock or, um, coaching session with somebody. I don't remember if it's one o'clock or two o'clock. So I think I'm going to eat um, some oranges after this or maybe make a smoothie like the ones you'll see on my Instagram. Cool. Yeah. And, um, and just one last question. What is your ultimate dream? Uh, my <laughs> ultimate dream is to be able to experience and relax into financial freedom so that I can really... Um, if people know me from the podcast or from if they see my podcast or if they see my uh, Instagrams or any of that stuff uh, to really continue to make the content uh, about gardening and juicing and food preparation and cleansing work and really put my full on energy into that. Yeah. That, that's what I would really be doing with, with my time. Yeah. At an elevated level, I do the best I can now, but um, yeah. you know, I'm very wrapped up in work. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. that sounds like a beautiful dream, Michael. And I hope, I hope, you can come to that place. We're getting there. We hope so. Yes. Thank you. All um, right. So thank you so much, Michael, for taking this time. I'm so happy I connected with you. Um, I appreciate there... you having me on so much. Thank <laughs> you. Appreciate it so much. Is there is there anything you want to um, mention to to the listeners? Uh, if right now, you know, I there's right now I'm working very locally. So unless you're in Ashland, Oregon, I have a studio in New York. So. Um, I say, I I tend to not mention it as much because I always tell people it's holding on by a thread right now because when COVID hit our city, I'm from New York, by the way, and I live in Ashland, Oregon now, Um, but I still have a big studio with the largest uh, uh, colon hydrotherapy and detoxification studio in New York, but uh, economic shutdowns and everything have really affected us. So I don't know how long it will be there, but my whole team is still there as of the recording of this and they are still working. Um, doing colon hydrotherapy and nutritional guidance. Um, if you're in, if you're in Ashland, Oregon, which I don't think a lot of people listening are, just because it is a small town, um, I just set up a new practice here. But really, if you want to get the value uh, that I bring to the cleansing work, um, uh, there's a lot of different places on YouTube, and I have my um, I have a, a website that redirects to my YouTube page, and it's everydaydetox.org. You can watch all the podcasts and videos there. And also I'm doing stuff almost daily on Instagram at Everyday Detox. So uh, you can just kind of hang out with me there and see what we do and make some food. And uh, I do Q and A's and I do a lot of great stuff. So uh, you can join on with me there. Yes, everyone go check out all of those resources Michael has and um, the best the best of luck to everyone in their health journey. And I really, a lot of people know me as someone who really promotes healthy living, and I really recommend checking out Michael, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it so much. This podcast is made possible in part by the patrons over on patreon.com slash the underscore freedom underscore very where you can also sign up and become a supporter to get a personalized reading from me visit my etsy shop 
not your average card, you can click the link in the description of this episode. If you like what I have to share, please rate five stars and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Your ears and your attention are appreciated. Think differently and live peacefully.